Have you thought about becoming a career coach, but not sure what it's really like? Not sure how to get started? Well, we've got you covered. Let's drop into this week's conversation of how to become a career coach. As I talk with people about how they got into coaching, it's always interesting to hear about all the different ways. And it reminds me that there's no one path to becoming a coach. Our guest today started as a marketer that was terrible with analytics, but was great with the psychology aspects. He got tired of the networking events he attended and started hosting his own events that fostered great conversations. You know, these events led to elevator pitch coaching, then to personal brand coaching, and then a podcast. And through that podcast, he met people at the Muse, which brought him on later as a career coach. Now, this is just the beginning, though, and it, it took years <laughs> before uh, his coaching became full-time. And now he's going to share uh, how we got a six-month review at work that led him to realize that coaching on the side is what actually was a fitness life. You know, there are a ton of great things that we're going to talk about today. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you Martin McGovern. But before we get into the career coaching part of your life, Martin, my question is, what did you do before career coaching? So my career started in the marketing and advertising world. I went to DePaul University here in Chicago and studied design as well as a business degree in marketing. I was always a creative kid doing vlogging years before vlogging was a thing and then nice. lost, lost touch with vlog, like, like the old camera, just like walking around the house with all my family members being like, get that out of my face. <laughs> and so I always had a little bit of a creative bend. I went to school for marketing because I was really fascinated by how companies were able to convince people to do things, mm. how they were able to get our money. So I, I recall when I was a little kid, you know, sitting in front of the TV with my brother and watching commercials and writing down what we want on our Christmas list. And we'd be like bickering over who gets to put what on their list. And I'm like, how did they mind control us like that? How did they do that? And as I got older, I started getting into behavioral psychology and behavioral marketing and all sorts of interesting things like that. How do you build brand? How do you build trust? How do you build reputation? And it just sort of continued to grow from there. And so I got into marketing, corporate marketing, doing email and digital stuff uh, at some Fortune 500 brands, mm. then went into the advertising world and got to work in the media side of things, you know, social and digital and TV and stuff like that, a little bit of radio. And it just kind of kept growing from there. I, I love figuring out what makes people tick and how to convince people to do things. And now what I do is I reverse engineer that for individuals. Instead of companies getting your money, I help you get their money. That's the best way to put it. I find so many people who come into career coaching come from that behavioral psychology. And we're all, if not full psychology nerds, if not like mm -hmm. full on all those kinds of stuff. So it's, yeah. it's interesting and in how you talk about that and kind of rever reversing it, but also really putting the power, I imagine, back into the people who are really shaping their careers. So I imagine that might be one of the reasons of why you wanted to become a career coach in the first place. But I'd be curious, why? And Why did I become a coach? Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting progression because what happened was early on, I had some pretty negative career experiences. I used to have a very down opinion about those experiences for many, many years. And it's funny now, like as I study more psychology and, and even stoicism and some other things, 
I'm now looking at those things. And I'm like, gosh, I'm really happy. I'm really grateful that I had such a bad manager in my first role because otherwise I might have limped along for a couple decades in that job that wasn't very good for me. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was it sort of forced me to confront a lot of the things that I had been doing and try and find other outlets to just find enjoyment in my skill set. Because I was using my skill set at work, but it just wasn't like the right aspects of it. I was using the things that I was weakest in most and things that I was strongest in least. And so what ended up happening was because I was so unhappy in my environment, I was like, I need to go to networking events, but I hate networking events. So then I reached out to a friend of mine and was like, hey, all these networking events suck, right? And he's like, yeah, they're pretty bad. I go, okay, well, I guess we have to make our own then. And that kind of kicked off this journey that I started getting into entrepreneurship, started studying, you know, the Tim Ferriss's of the world and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that kept kind of snowballing down the mountain to the point where, you know, we put on some events and then people would come to the events. And our whole goal with events was, you know, there's three types of people at every networking event. There's someone who wants a job, (laughs) There's someone who wants to sell you something and there's someone who just wants to drink the free booze and party and no judgment on any of that. But we're like, where do the real conversations happen? So we started putting on events that were focused on fostering conversation, which then led to people saying, well, how do I actually introduce myself to people, which then led us to do um, because we were marketers. So it led us to do elevator pitch coaching and then elevator pitch coaching turned into personal brand coaching. And then personal brand coaching turned into a podcast where we met someone from the muse and then they brought us in as career coaches and it just kept growing from there. So it's one of those things where I didn't ever set out to be a career coach. It was actually a term that was applied to me many years before I was able to fully own it. I always thought of myself, I'm like, I'm a marketer. That's like a real solid job. And, And then when I was like, Oh, I'm a career coach. And then recently someone called me a life coach. I was like, oh gosh, no. <laughs> these are these are these terms don't feel as strong as marketer, you know? And it kind of took a number of years for me to come to terms with it and then own it and then now really lead with it. And mm-hmm. and I see the value in it and I see what the purpose of it and how it all kind of functions. It's so interesting because so many people that I talk to, it, it's a process in calling yourself a coach, but then a whole process then of owning it, right? Mm. It's for a lot of people, there's like no stamp out there that says, hey, you're a coach now, you've done these things. You can you can have all these, these experiences put on these events and then call yourself a coach. And for a lot of people, it's a hump and it's a big hump that they're putting themselves out there. So my question for you is, and I talked to so many people who are at kind of these first stages in event planning, what was your first like mindset planning that first event. And I'm always curious because my first event that I did as a career coach, I think I had four or five people show up. And of those four or five people, I knew every single one of them. So I'm always curious (laughs) for people, what was your first mindset in making and doing that event? How well did it go too? So the events were interesting because so there's kind of two things. There's the events and then the workshops. So I'll start Mm -hmm. with the events. When you work in marketing, the first five years of being in the marketing world, Mm -hmm. you have a lot of different types of people who went into marketing for a lot of different types of reasons. So some people think it's like Mad Men and that it's super like suave and like cool. Other people are artists who never took the leap to become full-time artists. So they went into the creative field. 
some people like are count people and that's what they are and they belong there and there's everything in between. And what ends up happening is you get a lot of people who maybe came in for one reason, but then realized that that's not quite what the world is like in the advertising world. And so a lot of people got jaded pretty quick. So our first events were basically, I booked the room, like the shared space in the building that I lived in. And we just invited everyone that, you know, I knew who was interested in marketing and uh, wanted to talk about building their career outside of work, which again, was a lot of coworkers, was a lot of things like that. So to your point, and so we just kind of did it in the space that we had available. We didn't know how to rent out spaces or anything like that, or partner with companies or anything. And so that was similarly, you know, mostly people I knew mostly, and we would get up and we would try and have a speaker but the event wasn't about the speaker. It was about the conversations that the speaker ignited. So mm. the speaker could only speak for like 10 minutes and they would introduce a topic. So for instance, one of them was the drummer in my old band. He came in and talked about sound design and how Starbucks uses white noise to allow you to hear the person in front of you, but not the person next to you. Wow. And then, didn't know that. It was a pretty interesting one. And then he only got to talk for like 10 or 15 minutes. And then what we did was we broke out into groups and we started with interesting questions. So we would say, what's a time we'd prompt people. We'd say, instead mm -hmm. of you trying to just be like, Hey, what do you do? We'd say, what was a time where music influenced everything in your life down to how you dressed and who you hung out with? And why did that change? So everyone would get into these small groups of six, turn to each other and be like, well, I was a punk rocker. I'm wearing a suit right now, but back in the day I had spiked hair, a big gauged ear and was really interested in like Quiet Riot or whatever. And that changed because I got my first job and I realized I had to, <laughs> to show up differently at the office. Huh. And those conversations led people to be like, oh my God, I loved that band and blah, blah, blah. And now we're connecting as people and also talking about our work because it sort of set up, you know, the changes in your life and, and the career pivots that you made. And so that was a really fun way to sort of kick things off in the events space. And then workshops is a totally different thing. We got involved with a company called Dabble.co. I don't know if it's still around, but they let anyone teach anything. Mm -hmm. And so we got on there and became like some lead teachers doing elevator pitch training. And that was a pretty fun one as well. It's interesting to hear how people first start and how just like you mentioned, it's just the snowball kinds of actions that you can take and just putting yourself out there. I guess more of my question kind of leads into that and how the snowball kind of gets started and keeps that momentum. How did you know it was time to eventually make that leap? It was a pretty tough road to becoming a coach because I wasn't super confident in it being a career, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't, because yep. I didn't know any coaches. I was like, all right, I got put on this website. I'm doing career coaching, but I'm kind of approaching it from a marketing perspective. And I just remember being like, I had this quite a few years where I was sort of split down the center. Mm -hmm. Half of me was like, I'm a marketer. And I identify with my old life as a marketer. And the other half of me is like, I really love this coaching thing. How do I do more of this? Yeah. And so I, during the day, I'd be building you know, websites for brands. I'd be creating pitches. I'd be doing their you know, overhauls of Kickstarter pages and, and all sorts of different really interesting stuff to position them in the market, get them noticed and get more customers. And then on the weekends and at nights, I'd be doing coaching calls with people. And it started out just doing, you know, free stuff for anyone who wanted to talk about things just because I remember at the time I had a buddy that I was doing all this with and he was a co-founder of one of my first companies. And 
we sat around all the time doing these thought experiments of like, you know, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? Where are we trying to take all this stuff? You know, we were talking one day and, and we were like, what would be your perfect day? And I remember my answer was my perfect day would literally just be wake up and drink coffee and talk to people about life all day long. Like that would be my perfect day. And it's funny because if you fast forward a handful of years, when I applied for a job at one of the large online schools that I worked at, they asked me that question. They said, what would be your perfect day? And this is like six years later or something yeah. like that. And I go, oh, well, I'm applying for a project manager role, but I've been doing this coaching stuff for a few years now. So I just said it. I was like, you know what? My perfect day would be to wake up, drink coffee and talk to people about their careers. And they were like, hmm, well, that's, <laughs> that's not this job. And I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> and they were like, I was in Austin, Texas at the time, actually. And I was yep. sitting in a car. I was at this like dog park bar that my friend brought me to where it's like dogs running around everywhere. It was crazy. Yard bar. Yep. Yard bar. Yeah. I was at yard bar and I run to the parking lot to take this phone call interview. And I'm like sitting in this hot car, <laughs> just like taking this interview. Yep. And she's like, uh, well, that's not this job. However, because I knew that the company employed career coaches. She mm -hmm. goes, However, let me check on something and call you back. And she came back and she's like, we could actually do that as a contract role if you just want to have that job. And I go, yeah, let's do it. And we set that up. And that was, um, I'd already been doing my own small business of career coaching on, and contracting and things like that with a bunch of little boot camps. So I had a little bit of experience with it, hmm. but that's when I went all in. That's when I truly was like, this is what I am. I'm, I'm being fully employed with this moniker. I'm it's not just a side thing. It's the main thing. And then I put marketing um, off to the side and marketing supports my coaching, but it's no longer the path that I was on. It's always interesting because we we talk to lots of people. I'm a huge fan of, of Shark Tank and for people who, who listen to Shark Tank, but even we talk to entrepreneurs and most people, we know that it takes time, but we want it to be like we're a year into coaching and then we've got a full-time business and all kinds of things like that. But when you really look at it and when you really have these awesome discussions like we're having now, you find so much that it's actually these little actions that take mm. over time, right? You mentioned that you, you, know, you started multiple businesses in the past, that you've had some contracting and just did it on the nights uh, and weekends and things like that. But that I imagine for you, you're continuing to have these types of conversations to the point where now the two halves of the identity, the marketing side that became, that was the dominant one for so long, now at some point became secondary because it was, all right, now that I know what I want, I'm going to make the ask for it. I yeah. find so many people that, that we talk to and even our listeners is that they they know what they really want and they they say that exact the ideal day part but most of them or sometimes they believe that hey can this actually happen or does a career coach actually exist or i have these conversations literally all the time can i make money at it can right. i can support my my life through it it's just interesting because not in like you know overnight of course but it takes these little actions ultimately over time and i find really that's where the confidence comes from too. And that's one of my questions for you is what gave you the confidence in becoming a career coach? The confidence thing. That's so interesting. It's, it was a roller coaster. The nice thing was when I joined the Muse as a career coach, you know, I had the profile on there and people were booking me. 
and I was getting reviews and the reviews were all positive. There were maybe like one or two negative ones in there, but for the most part, they were positive. And I was doing that very part-time, like Saturday mornings, like <laughs> Friday nights at 10 PM, like very part-time. And it, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, wait a second. I go to work all day long and I go to my, <laughs> and six months go by and I go to my six month review and they give me like a list of all the things that I'm terrible at. <laughs> and they're like, get better at data analysis. And I'm like, but I'm terrible at data analysis. Yeah. I'm not good at analytics. And they're like, you should really go take a, a Google analytics class. And I'm like, sure, I can. And I can do it again and again. But we've done strengths finders. We've done the MBTI. You keep having me take all these personality tests. And every single one says that these are my least impressive skills. And that what I really should be doing is being like a mediator and a listener and all these other great, like, you know, creative person, these other skills that, you know, aren't part of my day to day job. And I was just like looking at all that. And I'm like, how come I keep getting bad reviews <laughs> at, at work? And then on the thing that I'm doing on the side, I keep getting amazing reviews. Uh -huh. And so part of that confidence came from the outside with people just being like, like actually listening to the feedback we're getting from people. And being like, okay, why am I fighting this so much? Like, why am I not going all in on the things that I'm being told that I do well? And so I kept doing these micro experiments and, and these small businesses and all these different ideas. And there were times where I would take, you know, five steps forward and then it would fail. And I'd be like, oh no, I have to go back to marketing. And then I would take a few <laughs> steps back. And then I would be like, wait, but this marketing thing is, even, ah, I just can't stand this. So I guess I got to go do coaching again. And then I would do coaching for a little bit and then I go back to marketing. And I would keep jumping back and forth. And there were wow. a few years where it was like, it was tough. And then eventually I just sort of sat down and took stock of the last you know decade and was like, no, I think it's pretty clear that I have to be a coach. And I there's a journal entry that I have. I was journaling every day during this time too. Mm. And there's a journal entry where I literally said, I know it feels weird to say it, but you're a coach and you need to own that. And so I, I can actually go back and reread that if ever I'm feeling insecure, which hasn't happened in a while. But that I think it was the constant reflection. I come from a family of lawyers and engineers. Like my Whoa. I have four peers, it's lawyer, lawyer lawyer slash engineer, engineer. And so I'm like the weird one out. Yeah. And I just remember being like, you know, you're going to be the one in the family that has the weird life. Let's do it. <laughs> and, and I've always been a bit of a weirdo. And I think there was something, I think I, years back, I was like, I wrote an article called Lean Into Weird. And so now I just had to take my own advice and do it. I'm definitely looking up this article after we get off of here. <laughs> yeah, lean into, if it's good, but I feel like I need good. to have lean into weird, like all mm -hmm. throughout my office in here, but also the, that journal entry of like, you are a coach now own it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that just own it, go full force into it. Kind of exactly what we're saying before, but I know you mentioned stoicism and that's something that's important to you now. I want to uh, make sure we get back to that. Yeah. But it's interesting too, when we talk to people, like I was mentioning too, for our listeners, it's the process of making those small, small experiments and kind of continuously doing those types of things. And I know I, there's a really great book called uh, Little Bets about, mm -hmm. and if you heard of it, 
Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't read it yet, but it's, it sounds awesome. So it's so good. And it's all about how like, and they use the example of like Chris Rock, when he does a, a comedy bit, how he goes and he tests it out and practice mm-hmm. stages and does all those kinds of things too. And really tests out those bits and then sees how well they do, then comes back and exactly how we even coach our coaching clients on yeah. how to go and find new careers or test out possibly new things. You can learn so much from comedians. They're my biggest inspiration. They do so the way that they experiment and test and collaborate and promote each other. Mm-hmm. It's enviable. It's so fascinating. I mean, I was before we got on the call today, I was watching some the whole like world that Joe Rogan has built of like comedians that support <sighs> each other. It's one of those things that I'm like y'all are amazing the way that you just like are constantly helping each other grow each other's businesses and and succeed and stuff. It's so, it's a fascinating world. Yeah. At this point in the podcast, me and Martin have become best friends (laughs) because literally that's the exact thing that I was doing last night. But it's interesting because very much from their experiences, they build that community, they prop each other up. It's all about diving into the whole process of it, getting really serious about your own process. And I was really curious for you because I mentioned the stoicism part, but it seems like you're bringing that into your coaching practice. And if that's right, I wanted to, I was just curious yeah. to hear more about that and how it's impacted yeah. you and your, co- it's and your clients. It's, it's, it's been there quietly, but I just started doing it loudly, I guess you would say. Since January 1st, I've been doing a daily live stream on my LinkedIn and YouTube channel. It goes to both places where I talk about careers. It's called Get Up and Job Search. And it's just a place where if you want to build a routine around your job search and you want to wake up at the same time every day and set an intention, that's where where we can do it. And also, while I was doing that, I have this book that's behind you called The Daily Stoic. And I wanted to read that book this year. I actually started with a different one. It was like uh, 52 Weeks of Stoicism or something. Okay. And that one was like too much. It was too intense for just passively trying to think about this stuff every day. So then I grabbed the Daily Stoicism book and I was reading this and I was like, you know, reading this is good, but reflecting on it would be better. And I had this little meetup in Chicago called Chicago Stoic. And I was like, you know, maybe we're not meeting up because I'm too busy with my business. Maybe I'll just do videos. So I was doing a live stream for Stoicism from 8 to 8.30 a.m. every day. Mm. And then a live stream for career therapy from 8.30 to 9 a.m. every day. And it had this like, you know, peak and valley with it. So I'd be like, I'm live and then I crash and then I have to go live again and then I crash. And last week, I think I was like, why am I doing these things separately? I always talk about career stuff on the Stoicism one. And I always talk about Stoicism on on the career one. So I just merged the two. And so now I it's all career therapies live stream and it's an hour long. And I included the stoicism readings in our reflection on how to deal with the stresses of the job search. Because honestly, I think what stoicism has taught me coming from the marketing world is that a lot of our anxieties are you know, a result of attempting to control everything. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the job search, so much of it, or when you're an entrepreneur, so much of it is out of your control. And so stressing out about those things is like adding insult to injury. And so what we try and do is find better ways to manage our thinking and our emotional responses to things in order to be able to continue to be productive. And so I've seen it help me as an entrepreneur, as a job seeker. And as I started talking about it on career therapy, suddenly people are like, I love stoicism. And I'm like, whoa, they're out there. People 
I'm not just the only weirdo in Chicago. All right, cool. So that's been a, a really fun thing to incorporate. And and now, again, when it comes down to splitting who you are, mm. like having one thing over here and one thing over here and never shall they touch, like merging those aspects of your personality becomes a differentiator. And so I'm starting to see that actually reap a, a reward, a longer term reward, because now there's a philosophy behind my coaching rather than just a subtle hints to it. I think that's incredibly important that merging of both of them right and not keeping them separate because there's so many different things that so many different coaches offer and different fit and perspectives and how they go about those things but just in case people aren't familiar about stoicism could you give like a spiel about what stoicism is and maybe the <laughs> we're plugging ryan holiday's book too yeah, so, right. yeah. ryan holiday's great and i'm by no means an expert i'm a practitioner who uh is pulling what he can from the readings that that much smarter people are putting out there but basically it's an ancient philosophy that focuses on facing struggles or basically setting better expectations. Mm. So if you are expecting things to go well and they go poorly, you have a really hard time with it. If you're expecting them to go poorly and they go well, then you're in a great spot. And so it's almost this like cautious optimism is the way that I like to phrase it. And basically a set of virtues and values that you can use to manage your response to negative stimuli in the world. So let's say someone ghosts you in the job search, you can look at that the way most people do from an ego standpoint and be like, my ego's hurt. This person's a jerk. Why didn't they get back to me and go down a rabbit hole of pessimism or, or negative reactions and then take that into the next conversation, the next interview and make everything worse. Or you can have an empathetic approach and say, that person probably wanted to get back to me, but they're busy or they're sick or someone they're taking care of someone in their family or there's something going on. And so stoicism is practice of, I mean, I'm not being very articulate with this, but it's basically a practice of like having a calmer approach to life so that you're not having such an emotional roller coaster with all the different things that are coming your way. Yeah. I think that was a great way to end it. And I think it's more really taking to mind what you can control and what you cannot mm -hmm. control in life exactly. and really knowing the difference. And from us as coaches, we can help people as much as possible. We can show them all the, all the things. But one of our coaches, Mo, gave me this wonderful example. He's like, it's like we're personal trainers. We can show yeah. you how to do the pushups. We can tell you how many pushups to do, but ultimately you're doing the pushups and also you're responsible for the results of those. So if you go home and eat a box of donuts after the pushups, that's on you. What we can do is show you how to do all these things and be very prescriptive about here's what's going to happen if you do X and what's going to happen if you do Y. That is such an important realization as a coach. And it, it takes time. And I think early on when I was a personal brand coach, before I was a career coach, I had this naive perspective that this certain way of marketing is the right way to market. And I remember early on being like, Everyone needs to have a personal brand and you need to create excuses for networking. So you need to have a podcast and you need to do all these different things because <laughs> that's what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And then I listened to some of the podcasts that I told people to make. And I was like, so everyone shouldn't have a podcast. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I started realizing that there are individual plans that are necessary. And I think that's one of the tough things about the job search generally, mm. which it's not a science. It is human interaction. Mm. And so every person that you're coaching is different. And every person that that person's interacting with is different. So you could have the same resume, send it to 100 people and get 100 different 
reactions of whether it's good or bad. Mm -hmm. And that baseline knowledge means that everyone has to take their own approach to it and find their own way of networking, their own way of writing, their own way of doing these things with, you know, some best practices involved. But the general sense is like, if this doesn't work for you, the question isn't, oh, well, now I can't do the job search. It's what can you do instead? And that constant seeking of that next thing where is what I think coaches are great at. It's instead of saying, well, you know, someone comes to a personal trainer, my shoulder's injured, I can't do that workout. The personal trainer doesn't go, well, I guess you'll never get in shape. Mm -hmm. They go, here's an adjustment. Here's a different workout you can do. Here's a different way to do that thing that might work for you. And then we test it and we see how it goes. And if it's good, we keep going. If it's bad, we eliminate it. And that process I think is so important. So I imagine for you that like for all of us, that takes time and takes some successes and sometimes failures with, with some people. But I'm curious for you, what has been the hardest thing in becoming a career coach? That's a really good question. The hardest thing of becoming a career coach, I think for me, the hardest thing was getting myself disciplined. It's not an easy job to do mentally and physically and and so on. Every single day, my schedule is just basically back-to-back phone calls from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed. So when I was actually in Austin, Texas for about half a year, I wasn't getting paid very much per hour as a coach, and I was working with a lot of different schools. Mm -hmm. So the number of hours I worked had to go up quite a bit to be able to pay for everything. And you know, I had some debt I was trying to pay off and some different things. So I had moved to Texas. I really didn't know many people. So I just went all in on work, uh, probably to an unhealthy extent. And literally, I had clients in New York and clients in California. So my day started with phone calls starting at 7 a.m. And phone calls went until 7 p.m. every day with maybe a half hour break for lunch if I was lucky. And so I remember hitting a point of like burnout with that. But at the same time, I was like, oh, I'm not disciplined enough for this schedule. And I needed to start taking a look at how I lived my life and how I made my schedule and my routine and my everything from sleep to food to working out. And I'm still refining it every day. Mm -hmm. But I think the hardest part of becoming a coach was becoming someone who's reliable enough to be able to take on that much work and that kind of a schedule. And I've been doing daily live streams at 8 a.m. since January 1st, so about three months now. And there's no possible way I could have done this even a year ago or two years ago with the routine I had. And so I think that personal growth, that push to become better at how I live my life in order to be able to be there for people while they're struggling and not be in the muck with them, but be able to sit with them while they're going through it has been the biggest area of focus for the past few years. We have such a responsibility to our clients, to the people who we get the chance to earn the opportunity to work with that I think that's such a behind the scenes real answer. So first, I very much appreciate that because it's for a lot of people who are transitioning to a full-time coaching job or for a lot of people, we're recording this at the time of uh, the Mm COVID-19 stuff going on. And for a lot of people transitioning to working from home or somewhat of the non nine to five type of lifestyle, I know for me, it was tough to kind of like adopt that you now own your time, but mm-hmm. it's not just your time, but you own your energy, you own your focus. And essentially what you do that whole day of how you wake up in the morning to happens to me all the time 
did you remember to eat lunch today? Because usually I'm the same mm-hmm. way. I'm on calls back to back to back to back. And I, I'm so focused in it that sometimes I forget to eat lunch. And then essentially what I'm doing is robbing myself to be my best self for those people on my later calls. Yeah. And inadvertently um, and accidentally not being uh, full present to them. So mm-hmm. it, it's the a, a really good body. example of that because I'm Irish. So <laughs> Irish and German. A good example of that is, you know, when I used to still go to happy hours after work with people mm-hmm. and, you know, not getting crazy, but even just one glass of wine for me will make me tired the next day. Yep. And it messes with my sleep schedule because I already have insomnia and other things. So I remember like there were mornings where I was like, gosh, I'm foggy. I'm so foggy on this call. And I'm not, and I feel bad because this person needs me to be sharp. They don't need a foggy coach. And so I've, I've had to eliminate a lot of things in order to just be able to be sharp as well, which, you know, it's very difficult when you're, you know, doing that many calls a day. I don't know if anyone's ever done a video, a video call, but it can get pretty draining. And uh, to be able to keep a consistent level of energy, and I'm not perfect at it, no one is, but to at least set up your life in a way that you can get close to the best version of yourself every day. And it kind of brings back more of that ideal day talk you're talking about before of like, hey, you know, want to be in and have discussions with, with people about their careers over coffee and all those kinds of things. But it's also making sure you're, I find for me, taking those times to do things to take care of yourself. And yeah. sometimes that can be really hard, especially for people going into the coaching realm. But also, I tend, one of my strengths is I'm an achiever. So the shadow side of that strength is I can become a workaholic and like yep. focus right into it. So it dovetails into one of my other questions for you, which is how has it shaped your life in becoming a career coach? God, in so many ways. To speak of that coffee thing. So I, you know, years ago, I said my ideal day would be to be drinking coffee nonstop, talking to people about their lives and their careers. And I was sitting at one of my client's offices, um, I think probably a, maybe a half year ago or a year ago. And um, someone came by and I had just been in this little like glass room in this shared office space, just back to back calls the whole day. And someone came by and they're like, aren't you tired? And I go, <laughs> and I go, you know, and I'm sitting there, I'm drinking like my 12th cup of coffee because I was, <laughs> I just kept drinking them. They're free. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, this is, this is exactly where I want to be. But then after that day, I realized I can't drink 12 cups of coffee (laughs) and be productive the next day because then I'm up all night. And so I think it's really fascinating how when you say how has career coaching shaped my life, like it's one of the things that has changed so much for me is when I worked in marketing, Hmm. there was really no immediate feedback loop. I would go into work and this is something that a lot of marketers struggle with, but you'd go into work. I'd input all the data, I'd update all the creatives, I'd flip over the website to whatever it needs to be, or the ads to whatever they need to be, the keywords to whatever they need to be. And then I'd wait and I'd go home and then I'd come back. And maybe at the end of the month, we see some numbers change, but I never got any like real time. It's not even like when I was working at Target when I was younger and I would help someone pick out, you know, the right stereo system or whatever the heck it was or the right TV for their home where I could see them be like, oh, thank you for your help. That was really nice. I'm going to go watch a movie now. Mm -hmm. Like when I was in marketing, I felt like I just 
I sent a lot of things out into the internet. And this is probably how people feel when they're applying for jobs. I sent a lot of things into the internet and just never heard anything back. And that felt so empty. And so being kind of, you know, a workaholic as well, I would just constantly work and never get feedback. So I never got any like anything to tell me to stop burning out. Mm-hmm. It, it was just like, yeah, just go until you burn out and then keep going. In the coaching world, as soon as the first moments of burnout start to happen, it's seen in the interactions I'm having with people. You know, if I've had too many calls, like, and, and one of the big things I've had to learn is how many calls can I take in a day mm-hmm. and still be productive on these calls? I'll be six, seven calls in and I'll be like, oh no, like I'm already finding myself spacing out more or something like that. And then I have to adjust my habits to match the real-time feedback that I'm getting every single day. And so I think that real-time aspect of it with my live streams, the coaching, what it's changed in me is having a real clear sense of of the real-time feedback of my work and my habits and my life. It's not Mm -hmm. like I changed my habit and I don't see anything for half a year. No, I change a habit, I see it the next day. And so that's been incredibly helpful. And I think just overall, the biggest thing I've learned from being a coach is that there's no one right way to do life. Like every single person is dealing with something, even if they look super successful from the outside. And what I find probably the biggest, this is a recent learning, the number of people that are on performance improvement plans is like a hundred percent. I mean, at least yeah. as a coach, right? Cause I'm yep. always working with people who are struggling. I talked with an old manager recently uh, from one of my old jobs. And I thought when I was at that company and I got put a, on a performance improvement plan that I was the only person in the entire company that had ever been put on one, right? It felt yep. like the end of the world. Yep. And then I talked to him. He's like, oh no, literally everyone on the team, including me, was on an, a performance improvement plan. And I was like, so this is just normal? And I was like, oh, okay, so we have no clue what normal is because everyone's like hiding the normal things behind this facade. So I think probably the most life-changing piece of being a coach, and this honestly was happening before I was a coach because I'm just the type of person that can't stop talking to people about taboo personal topics. But like pulling back that veneer and seeing what life is really like for people, I think has helped me relax a little bit about the areas that I'm most insecure of in my life. Where I find people that we talk to a lot is the same thing where they cannot stop having those types of discussions. And for most of them, they'll, I talk to a bunch of our listeners here, but even more people we get the opportunity to, to jump on the phone with. And they always talk about these conversations are just so natural. I find myself just going into them and whatever more taboo type of personal topic, they'll, they'll share everything going on in their lives or they might share things going on and their potential clients life, whatever that might be. And it's funny because now they're in a spot where and now I really, I'm having these conversations all the time and I can keep having them and I want to keep having more of them. And now I'm in a place where I want to formalize these types of discussions. If anything, I've gleaned from this conversation with you, you strike me as a person who is somebody who, like we kind of talked about, if you have a hypothesis in your head, you'll go out and test it. And there seems to be for you, like, go out and find those people or open that business or open that event. And so if anything, I'm taking away what I want our listeners to take away is learn from this, act fast, learn fast, fail often, and then go back again. So I'm curious 
for you in finding your first clients. How did you get your first clients? I'm naturally a, a very anxious person. So when I was younger, I had a, an anxiety disorder that I didn't even know I had um, until later I went to therapy and all sorts of other stuff. But I was the type of person who was so nervous that I couldn't hit send on an email. And one of my very early informational interviews that I went on in college, a professor introduced me to the owner of an ad agency. And I literally froze up when he said, tell me about yourself. And I tried to say it three times and had a frog in my throat. And eventually oh, he's man. like, well, I, he's like, I got work to do. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and it was, get this thing going. <laughs> it's, it was so brutal. It was so bad. And I literally was like sitting at an Argo T downtown Chicago. And my friend had hit enter on the uh, send or hit send on the email for me. Cause that's how nervous I was. What I learned from those experiences is like, you know, we have to go and test these ideas. We have to go figure out and learn where we need to grow. When I was doing these things, it forced me to find someone who could help. I was someone who was incredibly creative and could create logos and brands and all sorts of different stuff and wanted to put on events. But I was too scared to reach out to an event venue, too scared to reach out to a speaker, too scared to reach out to people to provide food for the event. And so I reached out to a buddy of mine from college and um, he is one of the most outgoing people you'll ever meet. He's, he's talking to everyone, every event he goes to, he leaves with knowing everyone's name. And I was like, you know what? It's going to take me a few years to learn how to do that, mm -hmm. but I need to start seeing results of my tests now. So he and I partnered up. He needed someone who could design the website and create all the marketing and, and create a great brand and, and all the stuff like that. And I needed a salesperson and he worked in sales. So we teamed up. I don't know how like well thought through this all was, but it ended up working out this way. He went out, he emailed people, he set up the venues, he arranged everything and got all the speakers and all those cool things. Mm -hmm. And I kind of sat quietly in the background and, and built my skill set sort of iteratively mm -hmm. over time. And so I think if you know it's going to take some time to build those skills, try and find your opposite and see if you can partner up. Because I think that that truly helped me. And now I have no issues reaching out to people. I have no issues setting up calls. I have no issues jumping on podcasts. But he's the one that was like, we should have a podcast. And then I had to learn how to be on a podcast for three years. And I was like, this, wow. is, this is terrifying. And, and so I pushed him in certain ways and he pushed me in certain ways and although that business you know we ended up splitting it up and he went his way and I went mine invaluable invaluable what skills we were able to sort of teach each other and then also support each other with mm. it kind of um reminds me of what we were talking about earlier with comedians and how they build community too and i i think for for coaches but for a lot of coaches that i know in this space it can be incredibly isolating yeah you feel like you're somewhat alone and just talking to only people who have career issues. Yeah. And so yeah. it can get just kind of an echo chamber. So for a lot of people, I always stress the importance of community, but but getting partners, but also getting people who challenge you, right? To push you into, hey, we should try moving to this area. And who knows, this might be like exactly what we're doing on this podcast. Get out and and do things that might make us make us more uncomfortable and get comfortable with the uncomfortable. As Tim Absolutely. Likes to put it. Um, Absolutely. And seek yeah. out opinions that are opposite of yours. Yeah. Like we need to be challenged. So I'm constantly trying to talk to people who don't believe what I believe and see, see where I'm wrong because there's plenty of stuff that we're just trying to figure 
figure out. And there's, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Yeah. Yeah. What I tell my clients all the time is there's no more rules. This is your life and your career. So I always like hearing how other people do things to really yeah. uh, challenge the, the, so to speak, way to traditionally always find a job or traditionally right. go about finding uh, careers that align. I thank you so much for your time. My final question for you is if you had three months to start your business and get into career coaching instead of the months or years it would take, what would you do now? It's interesting because like, you know, I look back and I wasn't trying to get into career coaching until the day that I was trying to get into career coaching. <laughs> A lot of folks start by saying, I need to get my first client. And for me, it's just do it for free. Like just talk with anyone who's struggling with anything and see where you, if you're if you have a strength in this area like i would literally sit and talk with people for 4 hours about their career and their life and all these other things and at the end of it they would want to still keep talking to me and i'm like all right we're on to <laughs> something here right i didn't know what it was but i knew we were on to something i was like am i going to be a business coach am i going to be an entrepreneur coach like i don't know this is going to become. So I would say, you know, the best way to start is to just do it for free for everyone and anyone who is willing to talk to you about the things that they're scared to talk to people about and see how it goes. That way there's no risk. Um, but if I were going to go and start a business from scratch, what I know as a marketer and as a brander, it takes time to build an audience. It takes time to build a funnel and it takes time to convert people into clients. So if you are thinking you're just going to quit your job and suddenly find enough clients to sustain your lifestyle, I think that that's something that you might need to look at from a few different perspectives. So for me, I knew that to get the quantity of people that I needed, I needed to join organizations that had people. So whether that's a full-time job as a coach, whether that's a part-time job or a contract job, whether you're working with schools or coaching organizations, I think it's really important to spend time where the people are, where the watering holes already exist while you slowly build your brand in the background. I sometimes see people take that leap, launch a partially created website, and then wonder six months in why they don't have any clients. And I think that that's a, a pretty clear understanding of marketing. Like you, you, you have to build trust over many years. And to build that, you need something stable to keep you going. I couldn't think of a better way to end the podcast and building trust with your potential clients, but building that audience and getting out there and, and going and have this, having those conversations. So Martin, I thank you very, very much for your time. Like I mentioned, we secretly just became best friends during, the, <laughs> during this talk too. So I appreciate I that. Thank you. But tell people where they can find you on the, uh, on the interwebs. Absolutely. So I'm most active on LinkedIn. So if you just look up Martin McGovern on LinkedIn, careertherapy.io is the website, which will take you to every which thing that I create. And then YouTube is really where I'm focusing the most of my attention. That's where the daily live streams are, the podcasts are, and you can find everything else from there. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I want to remind you that our professional career coach training and certification is open right now. PCC is for people just like you who are serious about becoming a coach or growing a coaching business. And if you're interested in PCC training and certification, you can schedule a conversation, no obligation, and chat directly with, well, chat directly with me about whether or not PCC is, is right for you. And here's what you need to know right now. 
pause this podcast right now. Did you pause it? Okay. And go directly to your email and open up a new email. Now you can email me directly at philip, P-H-I-L-L-I-P, at happenyourcareer.com. Now don't forget that's philip with two L's, you know, as it should be. But (laughs) make sure you add the subject line, career coaching. So I know where you're coming from. And on that note, signing off and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to How to Become a Career Coach. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. For more resources, go to becomeacareercoach.com. Thank you.